In 1874, the British government passed a series of laws called the Regulation of Public Worship. A lot of people cared an awful lot about church back then. True. On one side, people wanted more ritual and ceremony. On the other side, they wanted mostly none. In the midst of the battle, one minister, a rector in London at a church called St. George in the East, had stopped a practice whereby people who volunteered in church services could avail themselves of liquor from the rector's cupboard before and after the service. The Reverend King closed the cupboard. We have opened it again. Welcome to the rector's cupboard. Order. Well, we are looking forward to the pandemic ending. I think that's an understatement. You, that's Amanda. Hi, Amanda. Hello. <laughs> you are I would both like looking to forward to it. Not everybody is. Well, I mean, in, in I mean, some ways, in, in I mean, the obvious ways of I, I don't wish to, for there to be a contagious um, virus going around. Yes, no. I am very much the fact that I would like to be able to see some friends I haven't really seen and family and, yeah, and do some traveling. That and The outside isn't scary anymore. Yeah, I, yeah. I like that. I I. I don't miss some of the social things. People are people are nervous about the pace. I am. Things well, starting again. I feel uh, busy uh, enough as it is. We haven't had to I'm worry about saying no to things. Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, it's just um, too easy to say no. Well, you just there's no there's no invitations for the most part. Yeah, know, there's no no to the, say no to. Uh, <laughs> but one of the things we've missed on Rector's Cupboard is that this time is normally taken up in, with uh, including a tasting. Yeah, and yeah, that's true. Cupboard Master Ken is here, and we take and we've done a little bit of that, but it has you know it's, it's not as easy. And mm-hmm. um, of logistics. course, with guests, we've in some cases we've gotten guests, even if they're geographically uh, separated from us, we've we you know delivered the, what we're drinking or something. And but we're looking forward to to getting back to that, and maybe even recording on location in some places. Very and much. Yeah, we were just but, talking uh, about that. But this is one of the hopefully. Yeah, well, no, don't say what you're going to say. Yeah. Anyway, this uh, this episode is close. Not that. So this episode we Nearing. interview uh, Jeff Johnson and Roy Salmon, who are both um, work in in the music industry and more particularly in the Christian music industry. And they're veterans; they've been at it for a long time, and uh, and they're kind of trailblazers, I guess, in a way. Like it, well, there wasn't really much of a Christian music industry when they started. So I thought just before we. Um, switch over to the interview, I would ask you guys, being so much younger and the rest, you both were socialized <laughs> and spiritualized and whatever you would say in church settings where there was Christian music, like CCM, contemporary Absolutely. Christian music. Oh, I think Tell that's me all about I, your experience. That's all I was allowed to listen to. I wasn't allowed to so have quote-unquote secular music. So you were forced in, in a sense. Like sure. The, the I was not, and I definitely went through the, you should get rid of all of your secular uh, music. But did and you? I, got rid of more CDs <gasps> oh, than I would Amanda. like to acknowledge. Yeah. No, there's, and there, there's still these great, great kind of almost like fundamental bands that I'm just discovering in my thirties because I didn't listen to any of that stuff you when I was a kid. Secular industry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> one of the things on Rector's Cupboard that we like to talk about more philosophically, theologically is the false notion of the division between the sacred and the secular or the sacred and mm-hmm. the profane. And uh, so it's interesting, right? Cause you have people like Jeff and Roy who do, do and did and continue to do great work. Um, and there, I, I was really into Christian music for a while growing up. Um, I wasn't forced into it either. I could listen to what I wanted to, but I definitely went through like the destroy. Mm-hmm. The, it was for me, it was like um, 
the Christian music at the time was like Res Band. They were first Resurrection Band. Oh. And then like Petra. Oh my goodness. And, so oh, and that's a little bit before me. I had a Petra, Petra CD. But yeah. what else for you? Because by the time you were into it, I mean, you're... So, I mean, I can tell you that I can still sing all of DC Talk, Jesus Freak from start to oh, end. Oh, I, I could join in that. DC Talk, yeah. And weird disclosure, a friend of mine sent me a Jars of Clay song the other day, and that sent me into a rabbit hole where I listened to a lot, lot of Jars, jars of oh, Clay. Oh, I like Jars. Yeah. I still like Jars. Back to back for most of the Saturday while I was cleaning. Yeah, what's and that And it was one? kind of like going back in time. Um, what's that? Well, the one Jars album is called Much Afraid. Much Afraid. That's, That's a great, a great album. album. But not quite Jesus-y enough for the industry, well, apparently. I mean, I think one of the, my favorite albums of theirs is they've got Good Monsters. That's a good great one. Great album. Yeah, there's some, there, yeah. there is some great... Christian music, and then there's mm-hmm. always that channels that crossover and the rest. I just saw on Facebook today our friend Rick Calhoun, who works with us on the podcast Ricky at T. times, and, Ricky. and has been on um, <gasps> oh. had on Facebook like an ad with a VHS tape and an old player. <laughs> For our viewers who maybe don't know, or sort of viewers, listeners who maybe don't know what a VHS tape is, you put it in. It, it's like a yeah. large cassette. That's bigger than a four by six photograph, which, oh, don't, do we need to describe photographs for like no, young we listeners? Have <laughs> we don't have young listeners. No, but don't forget, you had to rewind the VHS. Yes, physically. That's really the only part. Were you guys ever scared about like the tape? Did you ever get like the tape oh, yeah. jam? Oh, and then course. you're like, oh no, everything's Universal ruined. Experience. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm so much older than you. I used to rent the player, the, the, the I, machine. I've heard this was Ooh. a thing. There was a I've heard a tell. Network, <laughs> net, network video. <laughs> And yeah. you'd go and you'd rent. It was in this big red wooden so, box. So Ricky has too. a VHS tape that I think that it's, a, it's of a band. Uh, his band. His band. The band. Well, they're, they're not called. That's, that'd be a good name for a Christian band, his band. But anyway, oh, that's not no. what they were called. They were I don't called, like that. They were, and Rick will say, are, are? called Hocus, Hocus Pick. Used to be called. Oh, no. Don't, don't challenge me on this. Hocus oh, Pick no. Maneuver. No, really? Yeah. I they didn't know that. New, new Hocus Pick It was fact. originally a maneuver. We hosted Hocus Pick at our church, and then we had a big concert in the gym. It was yeah. like a, it was oh. a big deal. They're and I great. got to make them dinner, which was a fiasco. I'm so happy, yeah. feeling <laughs> My life is rosy. Canucks won the Stanley Cup in that song. They sure did. Yeah. And we're still waiting. Thanks, Hocus Pick. <laughs> so <laughs> all there. This isn't the most serious discussion for the edge. <laughs> But, you know, um, it's an interesting part of a lot of people's lives that and, and mm-hmm. it plays into the idea of culture and subculture. Like, yeah. if you like this, listen to this other thing. That's yeah, no, totally. Um, and I don't know if the lines are blurred now. I'm not, you know, really into the CCM uh, stuff. But, you know, uh, Jeff Johnson, he, his music is instrumental for the most part. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Um, uh, contemplative music it's absolutely beautiful and so you know h- how do you label something christian or or not christian right um in in terms of that in terms of art and i think it's something that the industry has wrestled with through the years mm-hmm. and uh and now though it's enormous the industry just enormous, it's a machine in the yeah. yeah yeah well it's, the it's entire the kind of like evangelical culture like be that churches as well as concerts like ccm stuff like it is an entire industry oh i I mean i can't think of ccm music without thinking of something like creation festival and i went many times i sure camped out there there? absolutely yeah yeah i volunteered it's amazing how fast but the the machine of even just putting that together and the number of artists that came and the thousands of people that came from all over mostly america and then the big t-shirt tents so, like, if oh you want to think gosh. about subculture, like, all the, the merchandise t-shirts? that yep. you could buy with just 
all kinds of Jesus-y uh, things on it. Yeah. Or like t-shirts with slogans based on some Very of the Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm, yeah. Wow. <laughs> Memories. <laughs> Memories. Uh, and we, and, and talking to these two guys, um, one of the other things that strikes me in the conversation that we had was the, the friendship along the way, or even just mm-hmm. knowing someone from a distance, the people that you might not even see that much, but Jeff and Roy clearly, and they still um, share friendship. Oh yeah. But they, it's that camaraderie that comes with doing the same thing and trying mm-hmm. to make a living at it and mm-hmm. all those other kinds of things. And they have some very kind words to say about younger people who are trying to kind of start out now. And that applies in this industry, but in some ways everywhere. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and so uh, it was really great to speak with them. And we think that you'll enjoy the conversation and thanks very you two much. guys for, <laughs> and don't go destroy your music. No, never again. <laughs> well, it's fantastic today to be joined by Jeff Johnson and Roy Salmon. Jeff is a musician and has put out a number of projects. They're fantastic. I'm just thinking right now of listening, sitting in my little uh, office space, um, prayerfully listening to, to some beautiful music that Jeff has produced with others. Recently, he's released Ravenna with Phil Kagi and has worked on a number of other projects with Phil and many others. Jeff also leads a contemplative service called Sila. And for all of the content, you can go to Jeff's YouTube channel, Jeff Johnson Arc Music. Roy, we're in Roy's studio right now. Roy is an audio producer. That's what we're calling them now because it used to be music producer. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, now anymore. it's audiobooks and podcasts. Roy has a podcast that he works with as well and produces called uh, Family, Family 360. Getting it right. Um, great content, great guests. Um, you can take a look at that. And also blogs and uh, helps. Uh, I think some of my connection with Roy is knowing how many musicians and artists you've worked with and helped and worked on their projects and been a key, key part. So great to have you both here with us. Welcome, you guys. Yes. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, As we start today, I know that you guys uh, know each other quite well. Uh, Can you tell us a bit about your friendship? Like, how do you know each other? Well, Jeff just mentioned a year of 1977. That's when he started. (laughs) And I was part of another duo um, that started called Salmon and Mulder that started in 1977 as well. And in those first two to three years, we would often bump into each other through various connections. You know, everybody kind of knew each other back then. Mm. And, and and the thing about Jeff is Jeff was doing something. It was just a little more arty. And you were in Oregon at that time, I believe. Yep, yep, yep. And, um, and you know, I'm ashamed to say that, you know, I was just into making it. I just wanted to be successful, be Make popular, whatever. And Jeff was this nice guy. Uh, you did Still mostly is a nice guy, He right? is a nice guy, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and you were doing mostly singing back then, weren't you? Singing with your music? Early or... on, yeah. The first couple albums were uh, were largely vocal albums. I mean, yeah, most of the first original albums were vocal albums. But I, there were always uh, long instrumental passages on those albums. Yeah, that's right. And they weren't drum solos either. Um, no, no. And uh, as everything else was back then. But, but in, we knew each other because we bumped into, we had a lot of common friends and it was a small world. It was a small, small world, world. And, yeah. but he was kind of this arty guy that had a vision for what he would, 
hmm. was going to do and, you know, hit radio be damned. He didn't really care about that stuff. And I can remember, well, what's up with that? And whereas I look back at that now <laughs> and, and respect it. Yeah. And yeah. see this line of integrity that started way at the beginning, and I was just malleable because, you know, whoever swung the carrot in front of my face. So I you're looking move, at you like, know. how can we make this work in terms of? Yeah, like how can we make going? this yeah. successful? Yeah. And then, after about three or four years, you know, I sold out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> then we didn't see each other for thirty years. A lot. Yeah, that's right. Did that's you, right. Roy? Did you have like I know in in Christian music. So you were both kind of in, was it, would it be considered Christian it music at the time? It would be con considered contemporary Christian music. It was the but early, early going. That's the early days of that. Yeah. Cool. There was like Larry Norman and then you guys. Man, I'm wondering what the hairstyles from the 70s yeah, look yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, Oh my God, no, you don't want to know that. How long was your Did hair, you? Jeff? So for Sam. Oh, I had really long hair. Yeah. <laughs> yes. For I had Sam a ponytail. Yeah. For Salmon and Mulder. Did you, I know like, um, so my friend Rick, who's in, who was in Hocus Pick, yeah. kind of a generation, you know, the next generation. Yeah, the 90s. Um, you'd always, the, every Christian band had their, oh, they sound like so-and-so. So, oh, they're parallel who, who was Hocus Pick? Dream? Bare Naked Ladies or something? Yeah. Rick's going to be all upset. Did Salmon and Mulder have, <laughs> we should caveat you, that you know, they're like this or well, no? We, we had we had heroes. Um uh, Larry and Randy were definitely the whole solid rock crowd. Tom, uh, Mark Hurd, the singer-songwriter, people that were trying to say something meaningful. But was there but a you secular guys, but counterpart? You guys sounded kind of like you had kind of had a Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, vibe. we Simon had kind of, a, kind of a folk thing. But so we, not Hall and Oates. No, no, not Hall. <laughs> no, and no, no, no. We we called it folk and roll. Folk and roll, yeah. yeah that but sounds it's... very 70s. <laughs> I mean, this all tracks so well. It's wonderful. My imagination is doing great things right Allison's now. going to be looking up some... Yeah. It's interesting, though, because Roy was real, you know, he, uh, they, Salmon and Mulder, uh, they, you guys were dependent on getting record deals like everybody. Most people were. Yeah. I was a, a very presumptuous person where I thought I could do my own record label and started my mm. record label in 1977. <laughs> And uh, and basically just did what, like Roy said, did what I want. That didn't mean that it was any good. Um, but, uh, but but you it, had it, the balls to say this is what I think I'm going to do. Well, it's interesting for me to listen to that stuff, which I can barely listen to. Yeah, um, I agreed with but, my old stuff. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. At the same time, uh, it gives me a context from which I came and from mm. you know where I've gone, and yeah. and actually it's very humbling, um, and I am really grateful to have had the um, the chance to be able to artistically grow in front of everybody, in front of all my listeners, and to have people kind of grow with me. And mm. you know, by the time mm. that the mid '80s came along. Um, Instrumental music was really taking off with Wyndham Hill and Hearts of Space. Mm -hmm. And that's when we, uh, the people I was working with, uh, we, we, we did a demo instrumental. Uh, we put together a, a, a recording, uh, just a demo, because I had gotten associated with Sparrow Records. Only, only through uh, them helping me get a, a distribution deal in Germany because the, the Germans uh, distributor wanted to distribute my label. And so they actually helped me do that. But in the course of that, I said, hey, you know, you know the Wyndham Hill thing's kind of happening. Let me send you some instrumental stuff. And the next thing I knew that they wanted to, to do that, use that record. They wanted to make a record out of it. And that started on their Metal Ark series. You and gave them the idea for Metal Ark? 
Well, it, I put it this way. I planted a seed in their head. Oh, and Bill, Bill Hearn, who uh, was the son of Billy Ray, who started yeah. Sparrow, he really ran with that. Uh, he was brilliant. He was most, one of the most brilliant people I ever met in the business. And, and so consequently, that led to them distributing my label. And so for about seven years, I was smack dab in contemporary Christian music mm -hmm. doing these kind of odd sort of kind of accidentally uh, albums. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, I was doing instrumental albums, which actually then they were looking for. And um, so that's kind of how I but then eventually I left Sparrow on, on great terms. I just continued doing it, it kind of ebbed and flowed. And I had met Brian Dunning, the Irish flute player that I've worked with mm -hmm. for 30 some years. And we were recording for Wind we were recording for Wyndham Hill and Hearts of Space. And uh, so that's that's kind of my that was kind of my weaving in and out. The irony to me is that um, uh, we were both Roy and I were squarely in the middle of contemporary Christian music back mm -hmm. then. I don't think I would be considered squarely in the middle of contemporary Christian music I was now. Ask but about that. Yeah. ironically, um, much of my music is music for the church. For it's, it's sacred, it's sacred uh, inspired music. So. It's just odd how things have changed. Yeah, it's so. it's really interesting because your work, like you, you know, the the attention that's in there, the ability like to have it um, connect with prayerfulness, with mm -hmm. like the contemplative side of of faith for those who, but but right. also just kind of you know listening in the world. And I was going to ask you guys both about that, the changes in CCM, the contemporary Christian music. Um, it's come a long way whether from you Larry whether Norman. you feel like yeah. you have a handle on that or how things have changed or whether like things did things become huge is relatively small kind of when you started then the industry just became an enormous industry right but that brought yeah. all kinds of restraints and restrictions with it as well what's your kind of general take even even like when you think whether it's kind of theologically or how that industry has has kind of changed through the years I, I mean, Roy, I'll, I'll just jump in and then just uh, just a real short comment. Uh, my observation. I was just going to say money, but go ahead. <laughs> uh, well, my observation is it did it it did really uh, become um, quite successful. Um, and but what I noticed is that um, from an artistic standpoint, it became much narrower in uh, what was being what was being offered by the major labels. Back when I was with um, Sparrow. And uh, Roy, I can't. Who who did you guys record for? Were you with Maranatha? Or, no, we were with uh, Word, a subsidiary. With Word, Word yeah. Uh, okay, great, yeah. But anyway, back in those days, there was really quite a variety of um, different musical styles and things that were happening under the guise of contemporary Christian music. And I I've noted that that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Although I mm. I am so out of the loop personally. Uh, I have no idea who the there'd be lots you don't know about, right? I, yeah, there's a lot I don't. Yeah, and and Roy, you were saying you said money, <laughs> but that's well. Kind of how, let me to... let me just say something that Jeff saying is that there was a lot of variety in those days when mm. we were playing when we started, but there was a lot of variety in the mainstream music scene. Mm. Mm -hmm. You could listen to Sly and the Family Stone, mm. uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Joni Mitchell, B.J. Thomas, um, mm. Cool and the Gang all at the same time tower of power yeah that's actually a really good point you that's know a good and point. so so the whole music industry was right. just this incredibly wide thing but the thing is is that like any business if you're selling ice cream and you find out that uh, a peanut butter cherry uh kumquat ice cream doesn't sell as well right. as vanilla 
you don't make the peanut butter cherry. You know, kumquat. then then you you go yeah you you go with what sells. You go with vanilla, and then you know, and you try to hit the lowest common denominator. Hmm. And when you pursue that artistically, what you get is McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, as I uh, uh, over the over the spree of my seven years with Sparrow, uh, which was uh, generally speaking for me a very positive uh, period, but I noticed that there was a growing calculation mm. as to what was going to work and what was not going to work. I was kind of out mm. of that loop because I was a distributed label. Um, but on the other hand, it, it may be that Roy and I are just a couple of old guys. Uh, reminiscing, thinking we were in the better days than they are now. Yeah, sure. My guess is, is that if you were to speak with a young artist that was, you know, taking chances and doing things right now, they would show you lots of things, lots yeah, of variety. I agree. On musically. And uh, I'm just not aware of that, of a lot of that, the, the, the subtlety of, of what's going on. So. Now in the, in the, um, as you guys are getting to know each other and you're working through this and the kind of, dealing with the industry as such and working in the industry, um, being that it was contemporary Christian music, uh, in some ways you also, I imagine, talk about God, like as friends. And you're oh. you're kind of having these conversations that are theological as well, and yet you're producing this, this music to hopefully connect with enough people that you can make a living, but also say something meaningful, as you were talking about, Roy. Um, how did you guys start those friendships where you're kind of seeing what you're dealing with faith-wise as well, because that's kind of developed for you guys. Can I make just a bit of a segue from our conversation of contemporary Christian music over the last few into that conversation? Somewhere in the late 80s, and Jeff will confer with this, and the early 90s, the contemporary Christian music changed from being um, a group of artists that had something to say about a lifestyle as a Christian to people that wanted to lead people in worship. Mm. Integrity um, was a big part of that in the late 80s. And all of a sudden, labels started signing worship artists. And their sole goal was to lead groups of people into a communal experience. Um, And they would call it worship. Mm. Others would call it emotional manipulation. Mm. Um, Others would call it um, strident... um, over dramatic music like some kind of performance uh, and, yeah, and, and then like, some yeah. people went the other direction like me and said i prefer the monks and jeff mm-hmm. uh wrote music that was contemplative so that when you wanted to worship it was more of an interior thing rather than an outwardly expressive thing so the conversation of god kicked into not how shall we then live but how shall we then respond to him mm-hmm. well put and it became different between the life we lived with each other to just this vertical relationship. Well, the funny thing is, Roy's absolutely right about tracking that. And yet, (laughs) he's wrong about me uh, in that uh, I didn't really, uh, well, in that I just kind of kept doing what I was doing. I know, but that's what I'm saying. He he was prescient in his music. He was ahead. Through the 90s, I was still doing what I would call kind of uh, conceptual-based vocal albums but also instrumental albums by that time and that's frankly was my bread and butter the instrumental stuff particularly the stuff that brian and i produced in the whole contemporary celtic genre Mm -hmm. uh was was quite successful and it was it was mainstream then um it wasn't until really uh late late early 2000s that i that i 
by that time I had traveled quite a bit and I had, I had gone to Teze, the community in Teze. I had been mm -hmm. to Iona, yeah. I'd gone to a lot of these places and those things, those things kind of started to seep into me and ha have an effect on me and, and have an effect on a couple of the other people I was working with. Um, and we wanted to do something that expressed that experience, but in our own artistic way. And that's how the SELA service started. Uh, I was, uh, uh, we had moved up here to Camino Island by this time, and this was 20, 21 years ago. And my, my friend David Hastings um, uh, was a pastor to church. So we started a SELA, we just started this service that was, uh, had 10 minutes of silent prayer, but then I had my instrumental music, but we did hymns, we did Taze songs, mm. just kind of our take really of, uh, of that kind of a service. And so that's when I really kind of started heading back in that direction. Uh, but interestingly enough, it, to segue back into your, your question, Todd, is that all kind of came out of a collaboration of friendship, of art. Roy and I actually never uh, had the kind of contact over the course of the years we first met up until just recent times about five years ago really yeah we we didn't have the kind of contact where we had we exchanged we spoke deeply about things it, um but both of us have had uh artist friends and associates and pastors and and writers and poets and whatnot that have spoken into our lives that have influenced it i mean for me art is really even though it, there comes a point where the artist has to kind of do the work themselves, mm. but it's very collaborative up until that point, mm. um, at least in my experience. Um, so those relationships, without those relationships, well, there's obvious, there are obviously artists who thrive on their own, they, but they have a tendency to get very depressed and sometimes kill themselves. But um, uh, I, I totally dependent on, on that kind of, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Community and, and company, and friendship. kind of yeah, company, company of friends. You know, because I mean, we're sitting in a studio it. here, and it's yeah. actually kind of something I'm thinking, and I would say praying as I, when we came in this morning, um, that Roy, you spend a lot of your time in here by yourself. That's where a lot of that creative work happens, and that that company then is required to have friends who experience in their spaces those same hours. Mm -hmm. working on something on your own right yeah that, and i can i can see that and feel that in you guys and that you know obviously blesses the conversation jeff i wanted to get you to uh, tell us about ravenna your your latest mm. project um i'm picturing now listening to it as i said in my kind of uh, space in an office in my yard and just the beginning <laughs> and hearing the sounds of nature and here and right away i'm brought to a place of stillness quiet um but there's there's more to the the project like what inspired it what it is in terms of what you're looking at when you're listening to this music tell us about the, the work it's funny you said uh, you mentioned that you, you, you can see yourself in your yard i know your little space is in your yeah. yard but i was doing an interview with phil kagey the other day with somebody and phil described it as music to to rake leaves by <laughs> <laughs> so I love that. anyway um yeah i thought that was brilliant um it's uh it's the fourth studio recording that i've done with phil and uh as most people know phil is just um uh, He's he's phenomenal. He's a phenomenal artist. He's a, he's a wonderful person too, and has become a great friend. Uh, we started working back in two thousand and nine, and Phil Phil and I it's they're all instrumental recordings, and um, 
we've always had a, a sense of place in our music. I think that's just because we need to kind of feel like we're somewhere to create it. And so this particular album, uh, I suggested that we place it in Ravenna, which is the uh, town in Italy that uh, happens to have some of the greatest, uh, perhaps the greatest um, uh, Christian mosaics in the entire world, uh, fifth and sixth century. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yet we start there and then we kind of go, uh, go beyond from an inspirational standpoint. Um, it's interesting because Phil and I have tended to do an album every three years or so. And we had done an album called Cappadocia just two years ago. And of course, COVID hit this last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were all kind of sitting around all of Phil's concert. He's still up until last year was touring a lot. Everything was canceled. I was still working in the studio, but um, I was talking to him. I said, you know, do you want to work on a new album? And he said, oh yeah, let's do it. And so from May to November last year, that was our, it kept us sane during those times. And so it came out of that, but um, it's a very, um, uh, it's very evocative. Uh, uh, there's eight songs. It's always eight songs on our albums. Uh, I start with an idea. We're never in the same room. Yeah. Uh, Phil lives in Nashville and I live in Camino Island, uh, on Camino Island in Washington. And we send tracks back and forth. That's the way we've always worked. And, um, uh, it's just, it's a fantastic process. There's a tremendous amount of trust between us and, uh, quite a range of musical styles and, I start with an idea and I send it to him. Then he throws his ideas on and I add, and we go back and forth, back and forth until we're done with something. And do you um, work on one song at a time? We tend to. Yeah, we tend to. Yeah. And they're each songs about seven, eight minutes long and full of various dynamic, uh, and, and, and movements and melody, you know, melodies, Mm -hmm. various melodies Mm -hmm. and whatnot. They're really fun. And, um, uh, this latest one uh, tends to be more Phil-driven, which is really kind of mm. cool because there's lots of really cool guitar stuff yeah. on it. Um, but uh, and also, uh, we, I've always kind of thought of our uh, our songs, these very songs, as mosaics. And so we just called each song Mosaic One, yeah. Mosaic Big Two, time. Mosaic Three, Mosaic Four, etc. <laughs> that was easy, and, <laughs> and that seems to work pretty well, actually. Uh, at first, it confused people, but uh, it confused us actually. But, I can uh, see that. <laughs> But anyway, uh, that's that's uh, uh, that's the the gist mm-hmm. of it, I think. And and Roy, what have you been working on lately? Like, I I know that you've done, uh, as we said, you're you're considering yourself more of like an audio, you know, producer than a music producer. But you've got a very long history in music. Well, I do, um, and I still love doing music. Matter of fact, uh, last Friday, um, I was doing just music the whole day, and I my couch in the control room was littered with guitars I was trying for things and and it was just nice to hold one again yeah. and to play it and try a different tone and no that's not right um so I still do a lot of music but um lately I've been um producing a podcast called Family 360 and mm-hmm. the tagline is um conversations exploring life together and uh, and we often talk about it's all the ways we are family to each other, and mm-hmm. it's not just the nuclear family; it's uh, how we are in relationship to each other in our work, in our our church, in our communities, uh, with our neighbors. And it's not just parenting; it's uh, parents, grandparents, siblings, um, and relationships. You know, what do you do with crisis? What do you do with death? Yeah. Uh, depression. Um, it's it's not. Also for the church, it's not for a Christian audience. 
although it's definitely we've had a lot of believers on. It's for like a wider audience. It's for a wider audience. Yeah. It's, we just learned so much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we record two hours and edit it down to 55 minutes. And I do music for all of that. So that's kind of fun. So you still you know? get to do some of that musical expression even yeah, though you've I still shifted do. more a little bit away from that. Yeah. And what I call my songs is once a week I have a blog that comes out called Between mm. the Notes. And in 250 words, I get to say what I want to say. And whether you can hum it or not is up to you. So, do you keep to your word count? Like do you, you try to write. I, I it's between two hundred and fifty okay. and two hundred and seventy every time. Oh. And if it's two hundred eighty, two hundred ninety, I start getting rid of words. And and it's great because you disciplines you to hone down. What are you trying to say, and what's the content about? Yeah. No, I think that's really cool. Uh, what have you felt uh, has been kind of the most hopeful as you've uh, been working on a, a greater variety of kind of artistic expressions? Well, it's interesting. Um, uh, Jeff and I are part of a men's group. Um, and about every two or three weeks, we get together via Zoom. There's about nine of us, uh, a guy in England, a guy in mm. Bermuda, you know, uh, three <laughs> on the West Coast, um, a guy in Chicago. And the conversation just kind of lurches all over the place like Mm -hmm. a pinball machine. And one of the guys um, in Washington state was talking about walking into a place and he says into a doctor's office, an eye doctor. And he just said, you know, the thing just had this Christian vibe to it. And, and I went, came back to it about what about half hour later. And I just wanted to know what he meant by Christian vibe. Because when I think of a Christian vibe, it's a place I don't want to hang around with. Yeah. I was going to say, um, I, I can see some cringy things. Yeah, and but the discussion amongst everybody, you know, Jeff and, and our other seven friends, was quite illuminating as to what a Christian vibe actually is. Mm-hmm. And it showed all the differences of opinion. So the thing that I feel always hopeful for, one, is that there's always hope. You know, that, that it hope is a, a choice of how you look mm. at things. But the diversity of how people experience mm. hope and experience a vibe of promise and of potential. So this person was saying this in, in a positive way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Uh, you was see, like I, well, if I heard that, I, w- I would yeah, have gone, whoa. sarcastic or whatever. Yeah. yeah um, and, but the, everybody pitched in their little two bits, some with more bits than others. And this um, can happen. <laughs> and uh, it was it was hopeful to me that the expression of how one lives out their faith in their work or their business or their mm-hmm. life is as diverse as we are as individuals. Mm-hmm. And that God that we're all part of God's family. You you guys were mentioning that you're both grandfathers now before we started uh, and and I'm thinking you know so we speak a lot about kind of your experiences through the years I would imagine that you whether it's people you're working with or something you see on television or somebody you've heard has been discovered or whatever their their new music and art you must see some hope in in some young artists that you work with or that you know the kinds of things they're doing and why uh, how does it feel to interact now that you're in this part of your career in your lives with people who are where you were in 1977? That's a great question. I, I would say that um, it's the difference for me of being young and very opinionated and being old and hopefully a little more humble mm-hmm. um, and yeah, humbled in viewpoint. Uh, 
to have lasted this long doing what I've done, um, it's given me a great, a great humility. And so when I come across an artist that's particularly these days, I actually was just with one yesterday who is um, as presumptuous and mm -hmm. as uh, inspired <laughs> and as driven as I was when I was 18 and 19 years old. Mm -hmm. That is that is amazing to me because I just can't relate to that anymore. I can't even imagine. My, I I listen to some of my earlier records and I just, I I don't even know how I made them. Um, but to be able to be around it, yeah, um, is uh, is so inspiring to me. And 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 particularly these days, it's so difficult actually mm. to do this vocationally. It's always been difficult, but. Um, I, I have such admiration, and of course, last year was a complete wash mm. for many artists because most artists these yeah. days, musical artists, they have to tour, and so there's none of that going on. Um, so I, I don't know if I'm really answering the question the way you the way you were thinking about it, Todd. But I just I, I draw a great inspiration uh, from being around yeah. people like that, um, they, and they inspire me. I mean, they inspire me to work and to do new things um, as well. Uh, well said. Yeah. How do you, uh, Roy, you're working with a number of different artists. How does that help kind of keep you going? Well, well I concur with Jeff that um, there's just a lot of great creativity out there. And, uh, you know, um, they teach me new things. They don't want to do it like we did. They're, they're always look, looking for something new to express, to say, how to play it, how to do it. And music just keeps morphing and morphing and morphing into this thing and uh you know i i'm not one of that group of people like my age that talks about how music was great back in their day and it's not good anymore i think there's a lot of great music coming out it just doesn't always fit into the paradigm of what we measure with as mm. great music um right. so and and i you have to be open to new things and the only way you can be open to new things is to be curious and the only way you develop curiosity is that's a habit you practice and you have a deep sense of wondering what is up in life and what's around the corner. You're not dwelling in the past. You're not pinning mm -hmm. your hopes on the future. You're just living in the moment. Yeah. You know? One of the things that one of the things that I've observed personally uh, along these lines is that um, I get approached by a lot of young artists who have seen that have noticed that I have always done it myself over all these years. Mm. And that actually is the way you have to do things these days. You, you don't go out and make, you don't make a demo tape and you don't go out and get discovered by a major artist, mm -hmm. a, a major label anymore. It doesn't work that way anymore. And um, that's for maybe a few, a handful of people. But um, uh, so I get, I get asked, well, how did you do it? And the problem yeah. is, is that um, it's, uh, it's not the same. It's not it's not the same landscape uh, that but there are, there are some similarities. Um, and one of the things that I was really fortunate and I alluded to this earlier is that um, I actually got to be associated with some people who knew a lot more than I did and taught mm -hmm. me a lot of things. Um, but it was that was still within a context of a, of a what I would say a, a, a musical um, industry culture. You don't really have that anymore. And so a lot of these younger artists are completely on their own uh, to produce, to release, to market, uh, to try to live. 
and um, and I really sympathize with that, and I empathize with it, uh, having done it for myself all those years. Um, and so uh, that's a that's just an observation um, mm -hmm. that now everybody has to do it themselves. That's really well said. So there's kind of just a it, it's a different, like you were saying, Jeff, landscape than than. I think maybe traditionally it's a yeah i mean of... i i actually i in 1977 i we a friend of mine and i built our little studio in my house so i had a home studio in 1977 which is which is, bizarre. Which is, was, 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 was nobody had that yeah and it's not because i had a bunch of money we just had a <laughs> we had a task we just did that that's how presumptuous it yeah. was but these days as roy just said um you you have to have the only way you can do it is if you have a home studio mm -hmm. well now, mm -hmm. but what's happened is technology has allowed That's right. uh, that to for a lot of people to be able to participate in that, mm -hmm. which is great. Yeah. So as as we kind of are, are sitting and talking about the last forty plus years, yep. um, <laughs> that you guys have both made careers out of doing this. Um, how how have you been able to do that? I mean, I would I would imagine that that you need to have not only an internal drive towards it as you guys have both kind of talked about but also th there needs to be kind of enough um validation there needs to be enough money flowing in um how what is it like to live as an artist well for me i'll just say um luck <laughs> um get, yeah I, I had to be real i had to really think early in the morning how to, i said that right, right. but um <laughs> um First of all, uh, I married well, meaning that uh, my, my my wife and I, Susie, got I got married when she was eighteen. I was yeah, 20. ridiculously young. And she uh, she always worked. I mean, the joke mm. not, not not always a joke, but the joke in our family was that that Susie had a real job, and uh, so I was lucky there. Mm. But I also early on I kind of cut my studio chops by writing jingles jingles and soundtrack stuff early on mm. and that actually uh, at the time was could be a pretty pretty lucrative um i mean as far as you know paying giving you enough to kind of keep going mm -hmm. um and then uh i stumbled into this thing with brian dunning um doing kind of con uh, celtic contemporary celtic stuff mm. and that we rode that way for a while and we had a few major successes like getting the track in uh, scorsese's gangs in new york that was cool really um, wow. and, yeah how and did also, i not know oh, that okay yeah yeah the i'm last gonna go rewatch that when movie all, when all is that the most violent production you've had music in <laughs> yeah, we, oh, yeah well and our music Other than is the at the very end when all, everything everybody's killing each other yeah. and all that stuff and the cannons are firing you yeah. know that's you but that's yeah, us that's oh a, god I, yeah, I that's, totally meant that's a great movie yeah <laughs> Anyway, um, but so that was a that was a, a kind of moment in the sun, and actually that was you know somewhat lucrative as well. So there's been these things uh, along the way mm -hmm. that have been uh, kind of um, uh, monetary you know spikes that have helped, um, but all there's always been this consistency of income for us mm -hmm. because of Susie's job. Susie just retired five years ago, so that's been. That's why I refer to it as luck. I've been mm. really fortunate to to have been associated with those things. And Roy, you've had, I mean, you you already mentioned to us that, in terms of the the band that you were in and kind of the arc of how things, but and you have had have had to and have been blessed to change 
mm-hmm. what your kind of key work is. So this is, but yet you've been able to work in this field for your career. Yeah, it's um, I I, I would agree with um, Jeff that it's luck. Mm-hmm. You know, I I teach a I teach one class a year. Didn't this year because of COVID mm-hmm. uh, from a local um college where we get about 10 people in and I teach them a one week course on, you know, recording. Right. And, uh, but one of the things I tell them all the time is the only thing guaranteed in life is that life is not going to turn out the way you planned. Hmm. And, uh, and it's always hard for them to grasp that. And I, I said, but it's just about keeping your hands open mm, well put. to life, you know? So, um, you know, I've, I've had lots of twists and turns, uh, and financially peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a few years there when I was just, I felt like I was working every single day. Um, I mm. managed to, to work through the salmon and malt years and production years uh, a long time before Gail, especially when we had kids, before Gail had to go back to work. But mm-hmm. then we hit one of those lean times, and even though we had kids, you know, we just weren't going to do it. And, um, I've, tr- you know, and I've tried many things of throwing stuff against the wall and seeing what would right. stick and some stuff doesn't and the other stuff mm. happens. And you look back on it now and you're just, I bet you Jeff feels, looks back on his last 30, 40 years and goes, I'm so grateful yeah. that mm. this didn't happen, that I tried to do, you know, yeah. and that, and, and all the best things in life. And I bet Jeff would agree with on this, all the best things are nothing we've ever planned or made happen yeah. on our own. They were surprises. That's very good. That's very good, Roy. I mean, one of the things that I I left out was there has been a a couple people in the course of my career that have literally been patrons. Yeah. Uh, I didn't seek them out. They kind of came out of friendship. They Um, believe in you. They they support you. I look back at them. They came along just at the same time. The, The thing that's interesting now that I feel really, again, really sorry for young artists is they almost are having to beg beg for people to support them uh, because that's kind of the nature of, 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 of the business right now, uh, which, which is really, I don't fault it at all. I know, I mean, it, but I feel sorry that um, yeah. when, when they're, they have a, 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 some songs that they've, they've come up with and they think they're really good, they really believe in them, the only way they can do it is by starting some sort of um, Indio. Uh, GoFundMe. Go fund yeah. thing, you know, and, and uh, yeah, that's rough. That's that's a lot of work. <laughs> well, I think I, I know, you know, our cir- circles intersect in some ways, all yeah. of us here. And and I would say the same thing, even the work that, that we're doing now. You, you have those times where you're sitting in your own space working, whatever it is. So for me, it might be writing or working on some kind of service stuff or whatever. And and then you, you become aware even in those moments, or you think about, you're always aware of how, to a large degree, we're able to do what we do because there are some people who believe in us mm-hmm. <laughs> and and say, I like what you're doing. I think it makes a difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure people like you can keep doing what you're doing. And, right. and we couldn't do it otherwise. Right. And, and to, you know, bring just a bit of theological perspective. Um, Lo, I am with you always is not always about providing what you want it's or getting what you want or having the trajectory you believe you should mm-hmm. have. Um, it's just a presence that is at the low as well as the high. And if you can live with a, a deep sense 
of being in relationship with a sense of wonder and expectation and that your daily bread will be taken care of, you know, in the most profound, simple way that there's, there's a a sense of the, 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 um, the road gets wider as you go. Uh, Bruce Coburn says Mm -hmm. you get bigger as you go, you know, you're, you get more capacious in where where to move in life and what are good things and maybe some things don't matter as much as they did it's such a i mean i think in our last few minutes here together it'd be good to you know move to those theological considerations and roy when you're speaking i i think of you know the the turns for each of us so um for me i was a pastor for so many years and i remember i would think like yeah, even, what the even hell at, was up with that? Yeah, and even at times of struggle, <laughs> uh, you know, I loved it. I loved 25 years doing that, but there were times even of struggle or kind of like, oh, you know, how much do I want to do this? And and then those moments also at, when you're in those spaces and, and I would think like, but if it ever was, you know, taken away, what would I do? Oh, no, there would be this. And then it ended. And then you're doing this other thing and it's okay too. And I think like, I mean, and... I'm okay, you know what I mean, financially and the rest and whatever else. Some of it is because there are people who, who believe in what we're doing. and but there, So I really kind of track with what you're saying, and I think I would add to that, uh, and I think you would concur, that that sense of kind of, low I am with you and, and things can change and be different, but that I'm so grateful and humbled by the fact that um, this is how it's worked for me. And I, I'm aware that there are people who, there must be many people, maybe most people, who it doesn't work that way, you know. And there have, and they do hit those real walls of like, okay, I can't keep doing what I would love to do. It's just not an option for me. And so I carry this gratitude, but also this appreciation for for people who haven't been blessed in these ways. They may be blessed in other ways, but so theologically, because this has been like I've spoken to both of you about books, writing, um, you know, God's presence in the world, prayer, the Psalms, whatever it might be, Karl Barthes, uh, Baxter Kruger, right? Yeah. Um, wh- how, you know, that ultimately, in a sense, for those of us who are people of Christian faith, um, that thread is, is something that has been there the whole time for you. What have been some of the changes there? How do you think about God differently than you used to? Um, how do you think about church differently than you used to? You can answer it in any way. What's the journey been like theologically? Well, um, no, it's a good, that's a great question. We should, all of us should be asking that question of ourselves, um, throughout our lives. Um, and, uh, I would say that I know that I don't know nearly as much as I thought I used to know Mm. 40 years ago, Mm. um, both in terms of faith and in terms of life. But I'm comfortable with that. Actually, that's a really great space to be. Um, and uh, uh, growing up, I grew up in the church. A good, a po- I had a positive experience growing up. Mm. I was, I had some wonderful mentors, and really put me on a track that was a good track to be on. It's it, that track has has gone in different, it has has gone through different areas of country, but. Um, but it's always been that track, and um, uh, and yet um, uh, one of the things that I, I have become to appreciate more in just recent times is um, in that kind of not knowing as much as I thought I knew, 
is I've had a lot of exposure with um, some wonderful friends who are um, Jewish uh, mm -hmm. followers of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I have a, just a exploding a love and appreciation of the Tanakh, the uh, Old Testament, the Hebrew writings these days than I ever did before and how those impact and uh, spill over into the apostolic writings. So that's one thing, one area that has been a really rich area for me. But um, yeah, I, I'm very, I have to say I'm comfortable right now in my old age <laughs> about where I'm at. Um, when I, artistically, I when I finish a project, I think of it as the last one thing I'll, I may have, mm. I may do. Hmm. Uh, that's just, and I've been, but I've been thinking that way right. about <laughs> projects for the last five or six years. So, so that seems to be a good place to be. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I really answered. No, that was really good. And, and, you know, Roy, you've already spoken to us about wonder. And in my conversations with you, whether it's, you know, the, the, the kind of conversations you talk about when you mentioned this group of people that you meet with and even now over Zoom or whatever, um, the you've communicated that and you've demonstrated that, that openness to wonder and astonishment, um, how, how thankfully as we work in these artistic endeavors and whatever else, when you have that, that obviously is a theological matter as well, uh, being more open to who God is, where God is, who God is with, all of these kinds of questions that, um, and so, uh, well, we're really, really grateful yeah. for you guys. Um, anything else you want to remind us of or any last uh, kind of comments before we sign off? Um, well, just in response to the thing is, how's the church um, yeah. done with me? Um, I would say that I am far less uh, dualistic mm. um, now that, than I was when I was growing up. There's uh, far less of a us and them. Uh, in terms of this, I believe deeply in the church. I'm, I sometimes waver on the institutional church mm. and distinguishing the, the difference between that. I'm just not 100% sure that church is uh, an address on a street where we show up on Sunday mornings. I think it, it can be. And yet you've and, been, you've like led worship oh, in yes, the church, I, right? Yes, I've led worship yeah, in been church. Been employed to do yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. um, and I still believe deeply in it. But my... My perspective, or where God is dwelling, mm -hmm. and part of communion, yeah. uh, is is a lot broader. And like I said, I, it's not us and them. You yeah. know, I, I don't say are they Christians or yeah. they not Christians. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, it's a, it's are a, they Christians it's, with the right words? Right? Are they um, non Christians with a sense of belief? Like all that type of stuff. I, I just uh, we're all part of for God so loved the world. That kind of includes yeah. everybody in it, and how that is manifested, and how a spirit is manifested in each of us, mm. and how we respond to that, um, is I'm. That's what makes me curious and more open-minded to everybody. And again, the phrase I just said, "Lo, I am with you always." What if that seed is in each of us, mm -hmm. and it just depends on whether someone prompts us to listen a particular way? Well, thank you both so much, and and. Um, you know, those conversations you have over, you know, whether you share a scotch over Zoom or something, however yeah. you do that, or um, it, it's interesting how our friendships can impact the world. Right? Absolutely. And and you guys, that is the case for me um, and for many others. Um, we're really glad to know you both. 
We are really glad you're doing the work that you're doing, and there's direct blessing in that for us, but there's even greater uh, blessing than that. And so, um, and and thanks for the kind words about young artists and stuff coming up and the realization of some of the challenges that they face that are different, and actually some of them are bigger than challenges that you may have faced. And uh, uh, there's there's so much to be hopeful over. So thank you so much. Thank you. Allison, thanks so much. Yeah. Thank Take you. Take care, you guys. Okay. Uh, pleasure. Bye-bye. Thank you.